can't think of anything more exciting than the Word of God. And last week we started this series, and as long as the Lord uh, wants me to stay in it, we'll stay in it on Wednesday nights. I really enjoyed Psalm 1, and so tonight we're going to look at Psalm 2. So if you have your notes there, maybe uh, turn your Bibles if you want to follow along there. There's 12 verses in the book of Psalms, chapter 2, Psalm 2. And so notice here in verse number 1, as we look at this psalm, the Bible says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings." Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Wow, what a packed psalm that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, I seriously thought about dividing this uh, psalm And so uh, with the Lord's help, I want to try to get in tonight uh, this psalm that I've entitled Rebels with a Cause. Years ago, there was a famous movie that was made. Uh, It was was a a little bit of a close situation on that title. But I think clearly tonight we can see that there is a world out there that wants nothing to do with God. Uh, There is rebellion in their hearts. There is wickedness that abounds. Uh, The the world as we know it, according to the scriptures, is waxing worse and worse. Now, again, that shouldn't depress us. That shouldn't send us into hiding. That really should just give us that much more reason to live as a Christian and to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at this psalm tonight, the key... Now, a lot of times, when you look at a psalm, it'll say at the top of it, sometimes there'll be a little bit of a header, and it'll say a psalm of David, uh, a psalm of Korah. There are some psalms that, uh, you know, honestly, uh, when you look at them, it's hard to figure out who you could ascribe the writer was to that particular psalm. This particular psalm is not just one of those psalms where like one of the psalms of David that you would see that all of it is, even though it's the word of God, that God would use David to record under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that most of it would sound like it's coming just from David. The truth is, the key to this psalm tonight is, there are really in 12 verses, four different speakers. When you look at this, it's divided up into equal parts. You have David. Then the second person that's speaking is God the Father. The third person that speaks in this psalm is God the Son. 
The fourth person that speaks in this psalm is God the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting as you see this because when you look at this psalm and you understand a little bit of the background and history and the psalms really just kind of are interwoven throughout the Old Testament and even parts of the New Testament. When you, when you think about the Bible, you, you remember that God did promise to David that one day David's son and the Lord would sit upon his throne and they would rule the tribes of Israel as well as all nations. Well, David, as he's writing here, now again, this, these aren't David's words, it's the word of God. David is thinking to himself as he looks around the world that he's living in and he sees just the opposite. He doesn't see his son sitting on the throne. He doesn't see God in control as far as the world. Now we know God is in control, but David is seeing what's happening in the world. And we live in a time right now where we're seeing all these things going on. And don't you sometimes, listen, I know we have faith, but sometimes you wonder, Lord, how much or how long are you going to let some of this wickedness go on? Does anybody else think like that? And, and, and listen, you know, you, you sit there and you listen to the news, you watch what's going on. David was thinking the very same thing because he sees a nation that's rebelling against God's anointed. When David finishes speaking, then God the Father takes over. And, and God the Father really kind of answers David and, and David's question about what's going on in this world. Why isn't, God, why aren't you doing something? And it's kind of interesting how God the Father responds to David's question with laughter. In other words, he kind of laughs about it because think about this. Think about how ludicrous it is that man thinks that he could do away with God. And so God the Father, the second speaker, comes to David's question and gives his answer. Then you see God the Son assure David that he indeed will reign on this earth and that David doesn't have to worry. Look, David, don't lay your head on the pillow at night. Don't worry about what's happening in this world because I will rule and reign in the days ahead. There, there is prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. And so the Son of God assures David, and then the Holy Spirit of God, what he does, which is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when he came, is the Holy Spirit of God upholds the very claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will rule and reign, and that, listen, the Holy Spirit of God gives a stern warning to the nations, to the people of this world, that they better submit to the authority of God or else. You ever talk to your children like that? You better do this or... And that's what really what the Holy Spirit is reminding them because this is the Lord's uh, creation. And when we look at this passage tonight, remember last week, Psalm 1 dealt with the law. This Psalm tonight deals with prophecy. And when you think about this, the scriptures are oftentimes are talked about the law and the what? Prophecy. Talking about the whole word of God. It's interesting how Psalm 1, Psalm 2 really are sister psalms that tie in together. Last week we talked about, remember that happy, happy man, right? Uh, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly and all those things we talked about last week. 
Well, tonight we're going to look at a prophetic psalm that carries us really to an eschatological look of the end times, what's going to take place in the days ahead. And the reason that God allows this psalm here is to help us focus on the fact that there will be victory of heaven over this earth that God is in control, but it will all come to a conclusion one day. So let's get into this psalm tonight and look at some of the interesting things that, as I studied and just following this psalm, tremendous how it's divided into four equal parts, and each one of those parts has a separate speaker. So look at the first part is verses 1 through 3. This is where David now talks and writes about guilty subjects guilty subjects, those that would rebel, David sees this world in a state of outright rebellion. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. The Bible says, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Now, here's what we see is David sees, just like we understand, folks, rebellion is nothing new. There have always been, you go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They rebelled against the command of God. God says you can have anything except for what's on the tree. What did they do? They took what God said they could not have. Well, what's interesting about what Psalm 2 brings us to is this just isn't rebellion. See, that rebellion in the garden was Adam and Eve. It was a man and a woman. But when you look at Psalm 2, what you're looking at is rebellion that is united and it's universal. This rebellion is, is something that is like a federation of nations that have drawn themselves together. Now, here's the key, against God. Their hatred is against God. Brother Flynn? Yeah. Right along with it. Yeah, and I mean... As we get into this tonight, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking the same thing, Brother Flynn, as I'm studying this. This is a powerful psalm here tonight. I've never looked at Psalm 2 the way I have as I studied it for this evening. And I hope it, it opens your eyes a little bit more about what's, what's going to happen in the days ahead. So here you have a whole group of, of nations that are come together, and there are three things I want you to see in these first three verses, and these three things really are all about the coming rebellion. Look at the first one we read there in verse number one. We see the formality of their rebellion. Again, the Bible says, look at the verse again. It says here in verse number one, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Now the word imagine, if you go back to Psalm 1, remember the Bible talks about meditating therein day and night, right? The word of God. The word imagine in this psalm is synonymous with the word, what is it? Meditate. It's synonymous with the word meditate. Well, think about this. A godly person is supposed to meditate therein the word of God day and night. We're supposed to immerse ourselves in the word of God. What does the ungodly person do? Well, according to this, they are ones that use their imagination not to get into the Word of God, but to think of ways that they can rid this world of God. I mean, they said, you know what the, the world would call that or the court systems would call that? Premeditated. 
They're sitting there thinking about, folks, listen, I know right now, if you're thinking like I am, there are some very wicked people, even in politics today, that would do everything they can to rid this world of any semblance of who God is. And the Bible says here that they imagine, look at this next word here, the word set. Look, look at it, it says, that the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves. The word set there means to take a stand, to take a position. Now listen, I, as a Bible-believing Christian, guess what? I've taken a stand, but my stand's for the Lord. I have a position. My position is biblical. I became a Baptist by conviction based on the Word of God. But it's not talking here about Christians. It's talking about rebels, ungodly people, wicked people who are setting themselves. They've decided that they've had enough with Christianity. And guess what they're doing? They're taking a stand against it. Are you with me tonight? And look, we're just getting started. I want you to look at this verse here in Acts 4.26. Over in the New Testament, look at this verse. The kings of the earth stood up. There's the word set. And the rulers were gathered together. Look at these next three words. Against the Lord. And then look at the last part. Against who? Against his Christ. Now look back in Psalm 2. Look at verse number 2 again. It says, the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and notice this, and against his what? Anointed. You know what the word anointed goes along with is Messiah, the, the, the long-awaited one. Who's that talking about? Jesus. So the, the world, look here, the world wants nothing to do with God, and the world wants nothing to do with Jesus. They want to rid this world of all that, that, that has any connection with, uh, with God or His Son. So really, what are they saying? They're saying this, that they want God not only out of their lives, but they want God out of this world forever. Forever. And we've got to understand this. So the formality, look at, look at what it says here. Another phrase here is, the rulers have taken counsel together. You know what that means, folks? It means that they have gathered themselves together by appointment. I mean, this is not something that's just, uh, j just kind of drummed up on the side. No, no, no. They're getting together. They're discussing this together, and they want to figure out how can we make some sort of resolution to do away with God. That's the formality of their rebellion. But look at the second verse we see here, the force of their rebellion, because look, this is not just one individual person. This isn't just one group. I want you to see this tonight. Look at verse number two, what it says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and is anointed. I mean, when you think about this, verse number one says, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. This rebellion has a variety of conspirators. It mentions here, we just read them, it mentions nations, it mentions people, kings, rulers. This is a popular movement that is all-inclusive. It embraces everyone. This is what, listen, tonight I'm telling you, this is what Jesus dealt with when he was on this earth. Look at this verse I gave you in Mark 3 and verse 6. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel. There's the appointment. 
they got together with the Herodians. The Bible says against him, against Jesus, how they might destroy him. Now look, look at me for a second. There are some groups that came up prior to Jesus coming into this world. Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. It's no mistake why God sent his son when he did, but God chose to send him when he did. Right before Jesus came into this world, if you study some of these groups that we read about many times in the gospel records of our Bibles about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, and there were others, but those are three of those groups. Many of those came into existence right before Jesus came into this world or right after he came. Now, can I tell you, look here, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, none of them had similar interests. None of them had similar beliefs. Every one of them wanted nothing to do with the other group, but isn't it interesting that they came together, they took counsel together against Jesus. Can I just ask you this tonight? What did he ever do to them? He came to this world to give himself so that they can have a home in heaven someday, and look what he got. Folks, I'm going to tell you, when you think about the world we live in, and I know you already know this, but the world around us, it has different political parties. The world has economic and, di and social structures. They, they have different ideas about education and national goals. But listen, with all its diversity in all those areas, you know the one thing that they're united in? is standing against God. Somehow with all their differences, look, we, we, you know, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a green tea or whatever it is. I mean, you got all these people that are this and that and everything else, but they all come together. Why? Because they want nothing to do. L listen, this is the heart of man as a whole in this world that we live in. You, you think about how uh, you see the force of the rebellion, but notice letter C, the focus of their rebellion. The Bible says in verse number three, look at, here's what they say. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now that's rebellion in verse three, it's twofold. And I want you to see it, and I've already mentioned it tonight, but I want you to look at it. The first part of their rebellion, the focus of the rebellion, is against the person of God. When it mentions here God, it's talking about Jehovah God. It's talking about Almighty God. Uh, they, they want nothing to do with God the, God the Father. They want nothing to do with the moral and ethical teachings of the Word of God. The pre, listen, look what the Bible says here in Luke 19, 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Now again, it goes back to what I said earlier, that it, it's talking here about Jehovah God, and it's talking about his Christ, the anointed one, Jesus. And so the first part of their rebellion, the focus is on being against the person of God, but then look at the second part of that focus is it's against the precepts of God. Now, you know what the precepts of God are. This is the very Word of God. It's those teachings of the Word of God. Precepts 
Okay, this is something that they struggle with. You know, the Bible talks about that it's, that it's a mirror, right? And listen, when we're living in sin, the last place we want to go is to church or to look in the mirror. Because we don't want, look, that's going to make me feel bad. Well, guess what? It should. That's the whole purpose. A church is a hospital for the spiritually sin sick. And so, look, when people are living in sin, they don't want people telling them they're living in sin. They want to believe what they're doing is okay. In other words, we live in a world where everybody wants to justify what they're doing that is wrong in the sight of God. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. So, look, not only are they against the, the person of God, but they're against the precepts of God. These precepts that I'm talking about, they didn't like the laws of, of, of Moses. Uh, they, they didn't like the Sermon on the Mount. You know why? Because those things and many other things in the Word of God, they aggravated their nature. They made them uncomfortable. I was talking to a young man today as uh, we were going out, and you know he's 46 year old. I, uh, it's my birthday. I'm 55. I can call him a young man because he's younger than I am. But but he, you know I was telling him he he's he brother Robert. I need to talk to you about him too because I found out he's Jewish. He's been coming. He's a saved man. It, it's exciting, and we talked about a lot of things. But he told me he says you know all my life growing up he says I was taught to keep the law, and he says he says when when God opened my eyes. He said, he said, boy, it was just, there's no way you can keep the law, he said. And I said, well, you know, the Bible says the law is our schoolmaster. It brings us to the Lord. God can use his word. And that's what, look, look what the Bible says. This is what it's talking about, these rebellious people in Mark 7, 13. Making the word of God of none effect through your what? Tradition, which ye have delivered and many such likes things do you do. Look, there are religions in the world. I grew up in one of those where they, they, they've, they've concocted uh, these catechisms and these false teachings, and, and, and it's all traditions, vain traditions. There is nothing good or godly that comes out of those things. What people need is the Word of God. They need the precepts. But see, here's, here's what this rebellious world today is doing is they're trying to take the Word of God and make it of none effect. To where the Word of God doesn't, doesn't hit their lives. Listen, you know, I just, just give me church light. That's all I want. You know, like some people want bud light. People want church light. Don't tell me how bad I am. Just, just make me feel good, preacher, and that way I can go home just feeling good about the life that I'm living. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you, we all need to hear what the Bible has to say about marriage. We need to hear what the Bible has to say about sexual purity. We need to hear what the Bible has to say about respecting authority in our lives, about respecting your parents. We need to hear what the Bible says about sin, what the Bible says about salvation, what the Bible says about the coming judgment of God. We need to hear all these things and many more. But we're living in a world today, listen, here it is. They want to cast off the cords and the bands. See, that's the way they look at the Word of God, that it's a restraint. Well, I don't look at the Bible that way. The Bible's not restraining me. As a matter of fact, I have liberty in Christ. 
Uh, God's been so good to me. The Bible helps me to understand what God wants me to do, to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And listen, we need to see this tonight. That's why today, in this world that you and I live in, that's why there's humanism, atheism, secularism, all ruling in the world today. And can I tell you tonight, this is only just the beginning. It's going to stay this way. Listen, you know when it'll end? When the restrainer is gone. I know who the restrainer is? The Holy Spirit of God. But as long as He is here, there will be opportunities for people to turn to the Lord. There are many out there that are set against God. And that's why David describes them as guilty subjects, or really God describes them that way. Notice the second speaker tonight, the one that describes great scorn. This would be God the Father. Look at verse number 6 as we continue tonight. The Bible says, He, this is God, He setteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them. Who's the them? The rebellious. God's going to have them in derision. God sits back on his throne. He hears what David is saying. He hears, why do the heathen rage and they imagine a vain thing? And God sits back and God laughs. Psalm 37, 13, the Lord shall laugh at him for he seeth that his day is coming. God says, look, you know, Brother Kenny talked to a guy the other day, yesterday, while we were knocking doors. Here's what the man said. Kenny was witnessing to him. He was telling him that, it, that if you trust Christ as your Savior, you'll have eternal life, according to the Scriptures. He said, all my family, he's 20 years old, he said, all my family, as far as I know, they're not Christians. Many of them have already passed away. Now, this was a tough subject. He says, so you're telling me that my family members are not in heaven. And he looked at Kenny and said, if my family members are not going to be there, I want to go where they're at. He said that to Brother Kenny. Now, folks, we see tonight that men are fools, that they hope in some way that they can win against God Almighty. I mean, look, in this world we live in, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But the devil is no match, and his forces are no match for Almighty God. And we have to see this, how foolish man is. God says in Proverbs 1.26, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. See, man, today with all this technology, and there's some brilliant people, all the technology, all the talent, the skills, the science, all the things that man has invented, at best, you know what man is? He's man. He's just mortal. But you think about who God is. God's eternal. God's self-existent. God's omnipotent. He's omniscient. God is, is, is omnipresent. He's infinite. He's infallible. God is holy. He is high. He is the one we worship. Listen, man is nothing compared to God. And so God laughs at them. Notice again the great scorn, God's derision is that he laughs at man because of man's attitude towards him. But then notice in verse 5, God's displeasure. 
Because he continues in verse number 5, Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Now think about this for a second. Here's God, the creator of this world, sitting on his throne. He hears what David's saying. And in, in God's way, God just kind of, <laughs> yeah, they think, they think so. But as soon, listen, as soon as the laughter ends, God turns to wrath. The whole situation changes. The Bible says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Colossians 3.6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of what? The children of disobedience. See, God, listen, God is not pleased with what's going on in this world today. And that, look, David's trying to describe it. God kind of laughs in derision about what's going on. God voices his displeasure, but notice, let her see God's determination. In verse number six, let's read on. He says, yet, with all that's going on, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Right there, Robert Negron would say, Hallelujah, right? I mean, you think about what he is saying here. Zion. This is a prophetical name for Jerusalem. The city of Zion is oftentimes it's referred to. Our recent trip when we went to the Holy Land and we started up, up away from the city of Jerusalem, eventually made our way into the city of Jerusalem, and we spent the last part of our trip there in Jerusalem you know what I, I noticed so many times was how divided the city was. It's divided up into quarters. As I was, as I was spending time, I, I saw there was a Jewish quarter. There was a place that was the Muslim quarter. There was a place that was the Christian quarter. There was a place that was an Armenian corner. In other words, it's all divided up. You see Judaism, Islam... Christianity, Israel, and Palestine, all of them have claimed Jerusalem as their capital. I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself, why in the world, as strong as, as, as Israel has been, why don't they just rid their land of all these people? Uh, we, we, were, we were touring the Western Wall. Remember that trip that we took? We went down in, we were right along the Western Wall. We stopped at this one section. The guy that was our guide, he says, Right here, if you were to go in this direction, he said you would end up in the Holy of Holies. And he said to us that the nation of Israel started to dig through that. And if I remember right, was it the Arabs? Someone stopped them and said, you cannot go any farther. And I'm thinking to myself, I think I just have to keep on digging. I think I just have to keep, because this is our land, God gave it to us. But there's a division there, and God's determination, look at Luke 21, 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until 
the time, times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. See, God already knows what's going to happen. God's already got everything planned out. God foreknows the fate of Jerusalem. And I want you to see tonight his determination as God shares this scorn that he has because of what man is doing, how man is rebelling, and man is trying to rid this world of him. Notice the third speaker tonight. This would be God the Son. And so we see, number thirdly tonight, the glorious Son. Verse number seven. The Bible says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee, ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now the actual speaker here in these three verses is the Lord himself, Jesus Christ. And I want you to see, first of all, his sonship. Now the book of Acts records it too. Look at Acts 13, 33. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it also written in the second psalm, look at that reference there. In the second psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. See, all the atheists and all the cultists that are in this world today, all of them are not going to change the fact that Jesus is God's unique son. He is, he is God's only begotten son. Uh, people today want to change that around. God, God gave his only begotten son. Uh, they want to change that phrase. Listen, Jesus Christ is the son of God. And we see his sonship, but then notice we also see his sovereignty because the Bible says in verse number eight, he says, ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. See, Satan thinks that he's in control. He's the prince and power of the air. You remember when Satan thought that he had the upper hand on Jesus? Uh, look at this tonight. As you think about this, Luke 4, look at these words. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I... By the way, that's the problem with Satan. He's got an eye problem. The Bible says here that he says, Will I give thee and the glory of them? For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will... I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Now you know what I see here in, this, in these verses? Is Satan is offering, trying to offer to Jesus something that is not his to offer. And he's, he's making the assumption here. Now the, the, the truth was, is just like the temptation in the wilderness... What he was trying to do was stop Jesus, the Son of God, the propitiation of God. He was trying to stop him short of Calvary. Yet Jesus never gave in. What Jesus did was he quoted scripture. Get thee behind me, Satan. He took a stand 
on the Word of God. The Bible says in Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven, 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. Not to Satan, not to the devil, uh, not to the deceiver. The Bible says all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. See, Jesus refused Satan's offer. And you know what you and I who are called Christians should learn to do? Refuse his offers. Uh, to refuse to become a, a part of his rebellion. To refuse to be a part of all those that would be against the Lord Jesus. Look at Psalm 89, 27. Also, I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. Jesus is supreme. God will give to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will give all of it to him in his time. And we see here that we see his sonship, his sovereignty, but look at, we also see in verse number nine, his severity. Look, if you fast forward, and Brother Flynn made reference to this, that if you look at the pages of prophecy and the days ahead and what's going to unfold, what you're going to see is that one minute the beast is going to be strutting around with all the nations and all of mankind following him all of them doing their thing, and they will be drawn to the very place that we stood over, which is called Megiddo. And they're going to be drawn to that valley to do one thing, to oppose the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of that's going to be happening, but listen, one moment later, the whole scene's going to change. Because one moment later, the beast and his armies, they're going to be gone. And Jesus will be ruling and reigning upon this earth. Well, how's he going to do it? According to this psalm and other places, with a rod of iron. The Bible says in Psalm 89, 23, I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. Are you starting to get the idea tonight we're on the winning side? <laughs> Folks, listen, David, and I know we're just like David in those first three verses thinking, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? You know, who's going to be in office? What's, you know, what's going to happen to the economy? Folks, listen, God's got it all under control. God says, look, he's, he laughs about it, but God says, there's going to come a day where I'm going to pour out my wrath. The book of Revelation, boy, gripping portion of the book of the Revelation, the bowls and the vials that will be poured out upon this earth. Judgment like this world. I was reading again uh, partly yesterday and some this morning about those plagues in Egypt. Nothing compared to what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. They'll wish they had frogs and lice uh, when the book of Revelation unfolds in this world. But I want you to see how the psalm ends tonight with the fourth speaker, God the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see this gracious spirit Verse number 10, the Bible says, be wise now, therefore. Boy, do you see the conclusion here? God says, listen, look, take it all in, what I've said. This world better be listening. He says, oh, ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. There's the Holy Spirit's warning. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. You better not oppose my son. You better get down and kiss him. Listen, I, we don't need to kiss the Pope's ring tonight. We need to kiss the sun is what the Bible tells us. And it says here, and it, it, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way, when his wrath, not if, when it's kindled, but a little. Listen, he says, you're not going to be able to hand 
the littlest bit of what the Lord's going to do when he comes back. And so the Holy Spirit here is yearning over those that are lost among, among mankind, those that are rebelling, and God takes no pleasure. Folks, listen, people say this wrong all the time. God does not take pleasure in judging people. As a matter of fact, God so loved the world that he gave. He wants them to be saved. Look what Isaiah said, therefore will the Lord wait. Look at that phrase. That's the mercy and grace of God. God says, I will wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. God says, look, I want people to go, go to heaven. I want people to be saved. So before God wages war, guess what he does? He offers peace. How does he offer peace? Well, the prince of peace. Jesus said, my peace give I unto you. See, God doesn't want war. God doesn't want there to be enmity between mankind and him. And God's doing everything that he can to not wage that war. But God will not force his love and mercy upon those who are determined to rebel against him. That's just not our God. Folks, we need to understand, God loves us. And you know what God wants all of us to be? Go back to Psalm 1. He wants us to be that happy, happy person. God wants us to be blessed. But the truth is, as you look at this psalm on prophecy, one day the King of Kings will come and He will rule and reign on this earth. He will sit upon that throne. And those that abused His presence and those who have mismanaged this world, according to this passage, they're going to be swept aside. Look at this verse here in Revelation 1-7. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, amen. Tremendous psalm. When I looked at this psalm, I'm going to tell you something. It spoke to my heart about all that's going on in this world. Just like God assured David, David, I understand what you see, but just remember, I know what's going on. And God, many times I think to myself, why hasn't the Lord come back? Because God is being long-suffering, patient, gracious, and kind to us. He's giving people an opportunity to be saved. You see, the rebels of this world, they do have a cause. But God's cause is greater, and that is His love. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank You for this evening, for the truth of this psalm too. Thank You for the clarity that you give to us from the scriptures. I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Sometimes we get anxious about the world we're living in. But Lord, we see tonight that you are in control. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have the promise, as he gave to David, that he will rule one day. And Lord, we await that day. And I pray that this world would see the stern warning by your Holy Spirit, 
and that we would be assured day in and day out of the promises that you've given to us. Lord, you have kept every word that you said. Every word is true. And we know that what that is still yet to happen, that if we can trust you for what has happened, we can trust you for what will happen. Thank you again for this evening, for the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.